Thank you, Father, for our sister Deb and, um, Father, just the, the words that you've placed on her heart and on her tongue, Father. And uh, we just thank you for even the anointing that you have on her life, Father. And, um, yeah, we just pray this morning that uh, her, her words uh, are received straight into our heart, Father God. And, um, yeah, we just ask your, your blessing, your grace, and your peace and calmness on her as she uh, speaks this morning. Amen. Thanks, Dan. Okay, I think autumn has hit with a vengeance this weekend. Uh, we've had 18 meals at our house overnight and hopefully we'll get a few meals more before winter sets in. So this morning we're talking about the widow and her oil and her flower and, and Elijah. But first I'd like to just put it into a little bit of context for you. The two books of Samuel and the two books of Kings were originally meant to be read as one. And they're the story of the kings of Israel and Judah, some good and some quite the opposite. One Kings begins with the monarchy at its high point, as David, a man after God's own heart, hands the reign of the kingdom of Israel over to his son Solomon. However, things degrade from there, and the kingdom splits into two halves, Judah in the south and Israel in the north. And there's a map up there. The king of Israel, who was reigning when Elijah appears in chapter 17, is at the opposite end of the spectrum. It says he did more evil than all those that came before him. The books of Kings were written around the mid-century, mid-sixth century BC, tongue-tied. And in general, they are the story of the kings of Israel and Judah in the light of God's covenants which means the writer focuses not on the successes and failures of the kings on the battlefield or in the political arena or how famous they were, like our modern historians would, but rather on what the king did or did not do for the worship of his people. In Elijah's day in Israel in the north, Ahab had become king. He had married Jezebel, who was not a Jew, whose father was Phoenician and ruled from Tyre and Sidon, which I think you can see right at the very top of the map in the middle. Um, so yeah he was in Phoenicia and Ahab had taken on the worship of Baal which was the worship which was the Phoenician god. The capital of the northern kingdom in Israel was Samaria which is marked with a star in the middle of that big blue section. In 1 Kings chapter 16 verse 32 we're told that Ahab had built a temple for Baal worship in Samaria and the fact that he built a temple in the capital city implies that he tried to make Baal worship the state religion. And that's confirmed later when he wants to destroy all the prophets of Yahweh, including Elijah. Elijah himself appears in chapter, in chapter 17, verse 1. We know he's from Gilead, but little else. Without being told who he is, we find him confronting Ahab with a message. The message is in verse 1. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who, I'm, who, I'm, who I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain the next few years except at my word. Elijah reminds Ahab that it is Yahweh who is the God of Israel, not Baal, but then tells him that rain will not be falling unless he says so. Withholding the rain was not just a punishment from God, it was the first move in God showing that he had power and Baal did not. Elijah flees to a ravine east of the Jordan, which runs north-south between all those little light blue seas or lakes in the middle there. He fled east of there into a ravine. 
We discover later in Kings that the reason he flees is because Jezebel has begun a systematic extermination of Yahweh's prophets and Elijah was on her hit list. Elijah was a man of God, a prophet, and he had trusted in God and did what God told him to and fled to the ravine where God provides water in a brook and God orders ravens to bring bread and meat each day. In verse 7, we are told that the brook succumbs to the drought and it dries up. God tells Elijah to go to Zarephath. And I love that name, it just rolls off your tongue. You want to say it a thousand times. So God tells Elijah to go to Zarephath, which was located between Tyre and Sidon, the two towns I pointed out. So quite ironically, Elijah is fleeing from the promoter of the Phoenician god Baal and is sent to find refuge in Phoenicia, where Baal worship was from. There Elijah meets with the widow of our story. So we'll look at uh, 1 Kings 17 verses 10 to 11 now. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me please a piece of bread. So what was so special about this woman? Why her? While she was not an Israelite and lived in a country that didn't worship the one true God, she acknowledges God for who he is. We see this in her reply to Elijah. She says in verse 12, As surely as the Lord your God lives. This woman was not an Israelite, yet she acknowledges Elijah as a man of God, the living one true God. She uses the name Yahweh, which which is translated in our Bibles as Lord with all capital letters. This was a special Hebrew name for God, which emphasizes the relationship between God and Israel. She was not an Israelite, but here in the center of Baal worship, she acknowledges God, either because she recognizes Elijah as an Israelite or because she has knowledge of the God of Israel. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus refers to this widow. He says in verses 25 to 26, I assure you there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Jesus' point was that when Israel had rejected God's messenger, Elijah, God sent him to the Gentiles instead and that the same would happen again if they rejected Jesus himself. Jesus, like Elijah, would often find more faith in the Gentiles than within Israel. The story of the Bible shows us again and again that the Gentiles were just as much a part of God's plan for salvation as the Israelites were. By singling out a Gentile woman to house and feed Elijah during this time, God shows how important we are too as Gentiles. Peter says in Acts 10 verse 34, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. The story of the widow shows once again that God uses unlikely people to accomplish his purposes and that God's mercy is for all people. In verse 12, the widow then tells Elijah she is heading home to make one last meal for herself and her son before they die of starvation. She's at the end of all her resources. She has no other prospect than to die of starvation. 
Had she had the money to buy grain and oil, she may not have been able to buy any because of the drought with inflated prices and so on. Elijah tells her not to be afraid, but to make bread for her and her son, but first bring him some bread. He says in verse 14, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. The associate pastor at our previous church one day was preaching about being a good steward with God, what God has given us and asked what we could give up for God. And throughout the sermon, she kept looking at me. It made me really uncomfortable and I wrestled with God through the whole thing. We were in full-time living ministry at the time and the little money we were paid was stretched pretty thinly. She kept looking at me and I was nearly in tears at one stage saying to God, what else can we give up? We have nothing left to give. I think that's the closest I can say I've ever been to the position this widow was in. I was at the end of my resources. I finally relented and relented to God and I said, okay God, I will give up whatever you want me to and I will trust you wherever you lead. Afterwards, the pastor came up to me and she said, I'm so glad you came to church today because you were the inspiration for my sermon. I know your circumstances. And that was why she'd kept looking at me. I wasn't the target of her sermon after all. (sighs) God didn't call on my last drops of oil or my last measure of flour that day, but he was calling me to trust him with everything. We've come to our last drops of oil many times. We've had times when we have literally put the last of our money in the offering bag on a Sunday, knowing we had no more money till payday, trusting that God would get us through. We've faced homelessness and had weeks of eating two-minute noodles and eggs until more money came in to buy groceries. In the Western world, our idea of rock bottom is still ahead of many parts of this world, though. Even at our worst times, we have still had a roof over our heads, even if the roof leaked and we had to run around with buckets when it started to rain. But by comparison to some people, we have been through a bit. Yet, had we not been at our last resources we wouldn't have ever known God's blessings to their fullest. It's in those times that we've been more aware of God's hands at work and we can appreciate his blessings all the more. The widow's help didn't come when she was well off and wanted to rely on herself. God's help came right when she needed it and she was blessed for her faith. It doesn't matter what resources we have. It can be what's in our pantry, like the widow's last bit of flour and oil. It can be financial, it could be our time, it could be our health. We are all unique and have different resources, gifts and talents to offer. I get frustrated sometimes when I can't afford to give financially, but God has given me other resources that I can give. God wants us to trust him with all of it. He wants us to have the faith to give it all to him and he will bless us for it and always in his perfect time. God's help coming right on time has certainly been the same for us as for the widow. We've received letterbox miracles more times than I can count. Cash or checks appearing um, in our letterbox just as we needed it. Over the years, money has appeared before my surgeries, money to help with the girls' formals, someone paid for a personal trainer to help in my recovery after surgery, And money recently came for Miriam when she was saving money to take our family on a day out and mum and dad often help us. Never once has the money come late, but always just as we needed it. Groceries have appeared on our doorstep when we didn't know how we could buy anything and invitations for dinner have come right when money is tight. 
Our van was given to us just before our other car was unexpectedly, unexpectedly died completely. And other friends have helped us have a holiday now and then. Sometimes God hasn't sent money our way, though, when we've needed it. Sometimes he's sent a job for us so we can earn the money right in time. Sometimes it's been our health that's been the issue, and we're at the last of our resources to cope with it all. Between Neil and I, we've known miraculous healing, but other times he's bought the right medication or the right doctor with the great surgical skills our way. Sometimes it is rest we need, and God's provided that for us. One day, I was driving home to Wee Jasper with Hannah in the car. She was not quite two, and I was heavily pregnant with Rachel. I knew they'd graded the dirt road on the way home, so I was driving quite slowly, but it was raining. And I must have hit a slick bit, and I slid right off the road and trashed a tyre. The nearest property was several kilometres away. Two car, uh, sorry, so I set off in the rain with Hannah, me pregnant, waddling up the hill, ready for a really long walk. Two cars drove past and neither one stopped. I was at my wit's end and so upset. I was in a lot of pain with my feet from being on them in town all day. All my resources were spent and I had a long walk ahead of me in the rain with an upset toddler. I prayed and I said, Lord, please let my phone work. I looked at my phone and there was no signal. But something inside me told me to try anyway. I rang Neil at home and he happened to be home, which just never happened. He was always out on the property working somewhere. I stood as still as I possibly could, absolutely terrified I was going to lose the signal, told him where I was and he came. He changed my tyre and towed me back on the road. In the 20 plus years we've been driving that road, we have never, ever had phone signal in that area, even now. I believe that at the end of my resources, God made my phone work so that I could call for help. My help has always come in God's timing and we've appreciated his help all the more because we've had no choice but to know that there is nothing in our own resources that can fix the problem. We've had to trust it all to God. I've been blessed far, far more than I deserve. I've done absolutely nothing to earn it. I've got no magic formula. I am human and I'm not perfect by any means and I muck things up all the time. I just have to keep relying on God and keep trusting him. Maybe God has blessed us a lot because we're slow learners. But God really is reliable and we can trust him to help us in our time of need. This story from Kings also reminds me of the scene in the Hacksaw Ridge movie when Desmond Doss and the wounded men had been left for dead on the ridge when his division went into retreat and climbed down the cliff face to safety with less than one third of the men making it down. Desmond began to save lives of men, one at a time, lowering them over the cliff. Each time he thought he had come to the end of his strength, the end of his resources, he prayed, God, please help me save just one more. He saved some 75, that, 75 lives that day, knowing that he did not have the strength to keep going. But God did. His trust came in God first. He put God before all else and blessing followed. The widow trusted God with her last bit of flour and oil. Desmond Doss trusted God with the last of his physical strength. Giving our last resources to God is not about the face value of our coins or the quantity of resources we have left. Giving our resources to God is about stewardship, discipleship and trust.
In the Western world, with our financial resources, it's often too easy to give $20 to a cause without us getting too involved in it. But God wants us to be good stewards with what we have, to be thoughtful and deliberate with our resources of talents, skills, time and money. He wants us to faithfully devote our lives to him, to be disciples, to set aside for him and give him our all. And he wants us to trust him with whatever follows because we can trust him. The Bible is full of evidence of God's trustworthiness. Giving him our resources is not about the value. It's about where your heart lies. One commentary I read says this, An amazing benefit of giving as stewards is that it releases us from the real burden of our own financial needs. As we learn to trust God through giving, we can live confidently on what is left because we know that God is taking care of that. Giving is a freeing experience as it connects us more closely to God relationally. The ultimate outcome is that those who give as stewards experience a sense of intimacy with God that all followers of Christ long for. Giving becomes worship. Giving becomes a way of saying thanks to God for his grace and promised provision. Giving becomes a deep part of our personal connection to God. This commentary was speaking on financial giving, but I believe it speaks of everything we give to God. The more we give of ourselves to God, the more connected we are to God. If we note the order that the widow baked her bread, she was asked to bake for God's prophet Elijah first and to make the bread for herself and her son second. Out of the resources she had, she was asked to give to God first. And that's the same for us. We are asked to give him first out of whatever resources we have. Through doing this, our giving of our time, talents and money becomes an act of worship, showing thanks and praise to God who gave all of, all of it to us in the first place. Then we can trust and live confidently because we know God is taking care of us. We must seek his kingdom first and everything else will be given as well. In Matthew 6, we read Jesus teaching us not to worry about what we will wear or eat, but seek his kingdom first, and his, uh, seek his kingdom and righteousness first. Our trust and faith in him needs to come first. It may not come easily at first, but if we devote ourselves to it, we will get better at it. Some questions for you. When you came in today, you sat in a chair. What was your first thought? Did you ask who made the chair, how old the chair is, or what the history of the chair is? Did you ask for written eyewitness accounts that the chair was made by a certain manufacturer? Did you test the weight loading of the chair before you sat in it? I'm guessing the answer to each of those questions was no. You came in, instinctively sat, and trusted the chair. We need to strive to have exactly that faith and trust in God. Yet how often do we have more trust in a chair than in God? I know I struggle sometimes. To trust God, we do not need to know everything about him, although he'd love us to know him more and more. We don't need to test him out each time something happens to make sure he's on the job or check his credentials to make sure his divinity is up to date. Trusting God should be as natural as sitting in a chair with our whole weight and our whole being. Faith in God and trust in him are vitally linked. Faith is having complete trust in God without needing proof, just as we don't need proof of the chair to sit in the chair. This widow didn't know much about God, 
She'd grown up in an area that worshipped Baal. Yet Elijah said, don't be afraid, and, she, and asked her to make bread. She showed trust, went away, and did as he said. And in verse 15 to 16, it says, So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of oil was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. She showed faith and was rewarded. There's a woman in Mark chapter 5 who was rewarded for her faith too. She'd been bleeding for 12 years and thought if she just touched Jesus' cloak, she would be healed, and she was. She was at the end of her resources. She'd been seeing doctors and no one could cure her. The widow of Zarephath was rewarded for her faith by the provision of food. The woman in Mark was rewarded with restoration of her health. The focus of these stories, though, is not what they were given. These stories are about their faith. They trusted God with all they had. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. As the blessings these widows received were different, the way God blesses us will differ from person to person and blessing to blessing. We shouldn't compare our blessings or rate them or get jealous over them. What matters is where we put our faith and trust like these widows. What will be the same though is that our paths will be lined up with God's will for for us, his good and perfect plan. What a blessing that is. After all, things function so much better when they run according to God's will because he's the one that created everything after all. If we fast forward from the 6th century BC, from the time of Elijah, to the 1st century AD in the time of Christ, we can read about another widow. In Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44, it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowds putting, in, putting their money into the temple treasury. Many people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came in and put in two very small copper coins with only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. We read of another woman in Mark 14, verse 3, who brings an expensive perfume to pour on Jesus' head, something far more than most people could afford at the time. She was rebuked by those around her for being wasteful, yet her actions expressed her deep devotion to Jesus. You see, it's not about quantity. It's about proportion and devotion and trust. These women did not hold back in giving to God. Our widow of Zarephath gave her all to God because she had faith and trusted in God's message through Elijah. Are we giving him our all? Are we holding back because someone says we should or because we have doubts that God can carry us through? Are we giving out of our first and best Or are we giving out of what is left? Do we give out a devotion to God? Or do we give give so that we've ticked that box and we can move on? Do we hesitate to give in one way because we'd much rather give in another way? Are we running on our own resources instead of trusting in God's? Trusting in God brings blessing. Maybe not financially or with our health because that's to narrow the focus of what blessing is. 
God is bigger than the boxes we try to fit him in. His kingdom is so vast and to narrow our focus on what blessing is misses the fact that we are loved by an everlasting, all-powerful God who gave us the eternal, amazing, graceful blessing of dying on a cross so that we can be made whole and spend eternity with him. That is the ultimate blessing that we have in the next life and we mustn't diminish its value just because it isn't in the here and now. So I encourage you to trust God. Throw your whole life at his feet. Keep nothing in reserve because he will sustain you and bless you. Practice always makes perfect. And the more you practice trusting God, the more it will become a habit, something ingrained. Some days won't be great and we just need to keep praying just one more day, Lord, just one more day. But trusting God, he will sustain you and bless you. A favourite hymn is Trust and Obey and as the worship team comes back up to, to, for our next song, I'd just like to read out the first and last verses. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet we will sit at his feet or will walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all that you are. We thank you for creating us so uniquely and wonderfully with different gifts and talents and resources. Help us to trust all of it to you our first, our last, our everything in between. Help us to trust you, trust you with our health, our money, our time and everything. Lord, show us the areas of our lives where we are not trusting you completely. Give us wisdom, give us courage. Help us be willing to give our all for your kingdom. And Lord, as we take up this offering for Steve and Liz, we just pray that the money will have an effect far greater than the face value of what goes in the offering bag. And we just pray for your healing hand to be upon them and your blessing and your keeping. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.